going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. It sure has been a week, hasn't it? Especially when it comes to federal politics. It was all going all so well. It was going swimmingly, the usual yelling at each other like high schoolers and then the bombshell. Surrounding the Globe and Mail and SNC-Lavalin, former Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybould, accusations of the PMO uh, trying to engineer SNC-Lavalin to avoid uh, criminal prosecution. All kinds of questions being raised. So for the latest on this, we go to Global's Mercedes Stevenson. Mercedes, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Thanks so much for having me. Give us the latest this afternoon from Ottawa and what's being said by all sides right now. So the latest we have right now is the RCMP of Global News. They are aware of this situation, but they are not prepared to comment at this time. That's interesting because often the RCMP will simply say no comment. We don't discuss whether or not we're investigating things. And, you know, at this point was a very interesting part of that statement to me. Um, Of course, you know, the mind goes back to the Mark Norman case, which they wouldn't confirm they were investigating for a long time. Um, And the allegations there were in many ways not as potentially serious as the allegations here in terms of high-level interference uh, politically. So that's one part. The other part is that the opposition parties have different ideas on what needs to happen now. They all agree that they want an emergency justice meeting next week. And at that, they would have the power to subpoena uh, if, if it goes ahead, everyone from the Prime Minister's Principal Secretary, Gerald Butts, to the Justice Minister. Uh, now, will that happen? The Liberals will find out, because we're asking them on the show on Sunday. But um, I can't imagine that's something they'd be keen to have happen. And they do have a majority, so they can stop that committee from getting its way. But the opposition is going to push for it. They're also asking the Ethics Commissioner to investigate the NDP. Is. They say there's been a breach of ethics laws here. Um, and beyond that, Jody Wilson and Rabel puts out a statement finally. We're all anticipating it. We hear she's going to comment, and it just reiterates what she said to the Globe and Mail a few days ago, and that is she can't comment due to solicitor-client privilege. Now, the government is the client, which means if the government wanted to, they could waive their privilege in this case, and we might find out whether Jody Wilson-Raybould says what's alleged to have happened actually unfolded or not. What's been amazing to me, and I can't remember if it was you that pointed it out, but words matter. Or lack thereof, words that yeah. matter, right? Like that, it's been the case from the prime minister. It's been the case of uh, Jody uh, Wilson-Raybould. It's been the case of virtually everyone thus far. As they're being very picky about their words. Absolutely. I mean, with Jody Wilson-Raybould, she has said the solicitor-client privilege. At other times, she has simply said no comment, or in the Global Mail article that she has no comment on that or on this specifically. Um, if, if she wanted to stop the story, she probably could. Um, and, of course, as we just said, the government could say, look, we're going to waive privilege to go out and explain to people that this is not what happened. Um, there appears to be pretty tense relationship between the Prime Minister's office and her office right now. Um, certainly, sources I've spoken to say the PMO doesn't seem to know exactly what's going on. Um, that raises some interesting questions, and, and beyond that, the Prime Minister's initial denial on this was very legalistic and narrow. He said, I did not direct, or his office did not direct, the former Attorney General to act in this case. Well, 
the allegations never been that they actually told her what to do. The allegations were that they put pressure on her. She resisted that pressure, and as a result, she was demoted uh, from Attorney General to Veterans Affairs. And just for listeners who think, well, veterans are important too. Absolutely. It's not a comment on veterans, but there's a few really plumb posts in the government, like Foreign Affairs Minister, Finance, and Attorney General. They're the highest posts you can have in Cabinet. So getting moved out of any of those posts to a uh, smaller portfolio is seen as a demotion. And, um, you know, you, you had the government now trying to more broadly deny it. They're saying, oh, no, there was no influence. There was no attempt. This is categorically false. But the fact they didn't come out and say that right away and the fact that she hasn't said that has just poured gasoline on this fire. And one of the things that I keep looking back to is much the same as in the States when somebody claims fake news is the Liberals basically called the Globe and Mail's piece fake news. And so that begs the question, is one one is going to be true and the other is not going to be true? That's the two possible outcomes that come out of this, isn't it? It, it is. Or uh, there's some combination of, you know, pressure or other reasons. I mean, what we don't know is, we don't know if the allegations are true, for starters. Mm-hmm. We don't know if there might be another shoe that's going to drop on this. We we do know that she wrote a letter, Jody Wilson-Raybould, when she left, and we were all very taken aback by it in the press gallery. I've seen a lot of cabinet shuffles. There's people who have been in Ottawa far longer than I have. They've seen a lot of cabinet shuffles, and no one had ever seen a minister put out a public letter when they get shuffled defending their record. And in that letter, she made some very strange comments. Uh, Things like how important it is for the Attorney General to resist even the perception of political pressure. Mm-hmm. Why even bring that up? Uh, the importance of maintaining the independence of that office and prosecutorial independence. Uh, these are things that were extraordinary. And we all thought, okay, she's clearly upset. She's been moved. She's defending her record. But this is going beyond defending her record. She's basically saying, I was ethical. And no one had questioned whether or not she was in that move. It was sort of a, oh, they must have been dissatisfied with her performance. But people weren't saying, oh, she was unethical and that's what happened. So it was an odd thing to really feel that she needed to defend her morality and her ethics as an attorney and as the Attorney General of Canada. And now, of course, when you read that letter in light of these allegations, it looks really damning. We don't know if that's what she was referring to or not because she hasn't spoken about it. But obviously... She wanted to put that out there publicly on the record for some reason. Yeah. And the other thing, too, as you mentioned previously, is the two uh, opposition parties are really jumping on this. And I I know even in question period yesterday, uh, Andrew Scheer really took them to task on it and was really putting some pressure uh, on the Liberals. Uh, Yeah, there's there's a tremendous amount of pressure on them right now. I mean, the question is, um, does the story continue, right? Does... Jody Wilson-Raybould come out? Is there at some point a public inquiry? Do the RCMP get involved? Does the Ethics Commissioner decide to investigate? Um, are those bars met? Is there more information that comes out that starts pouring out? As What happens now is the other side starts to leak. We don't know who the initial leak was, but whoever it wasn't is not happy about this story. And they start trying to put their narrative out there. So I'm sure we're going to hear more about this in the coming week. It's a break week for MPs, so they won't be in Ottawa, but there is not going to be a break from this story or the politics around it. No, and I can't imagine the public's desire to learn more will uh, go away anytime soon either. Mercedes, thanks so much for giving us the latest on this story. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is something that I had to laugh a little bit. One texter saying Trudeau's going to jail before Trump. This is what we've come down to now, is it's a race to the bottom in politics. As I keep saying, is I'm, I'm on this mission to civilize. Is 
at some point, we need to expect more out of our elected officials. Or maybe this is what we've come to expect. It's just kind of, isn't it embarrassing? I mean, I'm going to go back to this point over and over and over again. But we're living in the as the history books of tomorrow. So what are those books and those movies and those documentaries about today's generation of, of government and politicians going to say about us? Think about that for a second. Unreal. Scalger today on 770 CHQR. It's much brighter times now, and I love highlighting stories where we get to show off what we're doing for our community and for our youth and Dan Mancina might not be a name that you know off the top of your head, but I would recommend you Google him and take a look at some of the videos he does. He's a visually impaired skateboarder. I can't imagine doing much blind, let alone skateboarding. But he, along with the Academy Skateboard Collective, were in Calgary for the Skills on Wheels skateboarding session at the compound YYC Indoor Skate Park earlier today. And one of the gentlemen who's helping put this all together is Everett Tate. And he joins us now, the founder of Academy Skateboard Collective. Everett, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you. I'm uh, glad to be here. What does it mean to have Dan come to Calgary and show these kids that, hey, you're capable of doing anything you put your mind to, even if there is something standing in the way like your vision? Uh, I, I can't speak highly enough of Dan and, and sort of his story and journey that he's been through. Um, it was incredibly inspiring for the kids that came out and participated, but even just for their parents and for some of the adults that were there supporting, to kind of hear his story of resiliency and overcoming uh, the loss of his own sight, um, it's incredible. It, it, it changes you when you hear that. I was going to say, what is it like to be on the receiving end and to be getting that reaction from the kids who are all of a sudden, you know, the, the light bulb goes on over top of their heads? Well, absolutely. I think a window was open that wasn't before. And it was really just showing, you know, it might not be skateboarding. It might be something else. But who knows what's possible? And you, and you can't just be defined by, uh, you know, a perceived deficit, um, as Dan has shown us. Give me a little bit of background on Dan's story in particular, because I think a lot of people may know the name or may know part of the story, but they may not know exactly what he's gone through and what he's trying to do now. Uh, well, I mean, he's definitely the better better person to tell that story. Yeah. But, he, you know, he sort of lost his sight in, in young adulthood through a degenerative eye disease. And he was an active skateboarder at the time. So not only was he losing his sight, he was losing his ability to skate. Um, and his story is really about pushing through that and overcoming those obstacles to find what he loved again. Um, you know, despite everything uh, holding him back, and he's and he's you know really making a name for himself now, doing what he loves. Mm-hmm. And talk a little bit about Academy Skateboard Collective and and what you guys bring to the table in in this discussion and furthering the discussion. Uh, so Academy Skateboard Collective, you know, our our mission is to reach out through public schools. Um, particularly marginalized kids that might be, you know, missing opportunities that other kids might have and just using kind of the language of skateboarding to reach them um, and show them what's possible. Skateboarding is not something that is inherently easy, um, as any of us that have done it uh, can really tell you. Um, But that feeling of satisfaction when you accomplish something and, and push through, learn a new trick, learn a new skill, that's really what it's all about. 
And that's the name of the game, I think, especially with kids is, you know, to be able to have that sense of whether it's pride or that sense of victory or that sense of uh, community even is being able to have that outlet is so important for kids nowadays. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, that's really what brought us all to the table. Um, skateboarding has been that vehicle for us that has introduced us to our communities. Um, lots of lasting friendships and relationships um, and just something to put our energy into. What does it mean to you to be able to put these two groups together, like Dan and the kids, and and to see that interaction uh, firsthand? Incredible. It went well, well beyond our expectations. Um, just the smiles and, and sort of the looks of satisfaction and interaction was, uh, was something else to see, for sure. That's fantastic. Uh, I do appreciate the time, Everett. Thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. Kind of a nice little follow-up to yesterday's story about the Arkells coming to town and jamming with some kids at the, Cal- I believe it was Calgary Arts Academy. What I love about it is that these people of, of uh, I'll call it, they're people of persuasion, I guess. They're, they, they are inspiring future generations. They are being, uh, they're kind of holding their own positions of power and influence. That's the word. They're actually using that influence for good. Hopefully we see more of that. It's Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. And the military museums might be a good place to escape the cold for a little bit over the weekend as they are marking Black History Month with not only an exhibit but also a a lecture which happens tonight. And a panel discussion, film screening as well. They are commemorating Black History Month with uh, all of that. The Brave Sir, look, they're looking to highlight the Brave Service of African Canadian soldiers serving from the First World War to the present day. Al Ross and Indra Tika Singh were the curators for this, and they join us now in the program. Uh, guys, thanks so much for being here today. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Give us a little bit of background and maybe some of the work that has gone on behind the scenes to make this exhibit come to life. Uh, well, what, what happened, Joe, was uh, my wife, Indra, started doing research into uh, this number two construction battalion, commonly known as, as the, the Forgotten Battalion. And we started looking at some of the personalities and realized how interesting they were and started doing biographies of them and, and in-depth research. And then last year, we were actually were called, called upon by the museum and asked if we wanted to tackle the project of putting an exhibit featuring Afro-Canadians who have served in the military. So the number two construction battalion was one aspect of it. Uh, we also did some histories for World War II fellows. And uh, this year, we actually have some soldiers that have served and are presently serving as part of the exhibit. Was there anything during the course of your research that took you by surprise or something that made you open your eyes to uh, the reality that was? Um, yeah, you know, while researching the soldiers, there is so much uh, Canada don't know about these soldiers that serve from the number two construction battalion. And I think gradually we're all learning about them and we're learning what they did, how they served. And um, I, I, I guess uh, there's so much we're learning that it's hard to get it all out to the public right now. We're getting it out piece, like piecemeal as uh, we could present it. Mm-hmm. 
It's amazing to me, and, and I'm a big baseball buff myself, and so it's one of those things where it it really resonated with me. It was very similar to the the Jackie Robinson story and the segregation that was involved in what is now, you know, everybody is all together, whereas back then you had segregated battalions. You had everybody kind of, every man for himself in a sense. Yeah, that, that's about correct. That, that was sort of the, the, the way of the, I guess, the way of the times back then, Joe. Talk a little bit about that from your guys' standpoint. Was that something that really uh, surprised you, or was that something that did it amaze you at how each side seemed to, uh, how each side thought of themselves and, and that kind of thing? Well, it, it kind of was. I think, you know, um, go ahead, Andrew. It, it really didn't surprise me. I uh, immigrated from Trinidad to Canada. And there was racism when I immigrated here. So when I read about it back then, um, it really didn't surprise me. What I could say is people are becoming more tolerant now mm-hmm. um, as compared to when World War One, which is 100 years ago, happened. I had to laugh a little bit is that it's always at six degrees of separation, but here you are uh, making mention of Anne Murray's grandfather and all of this as well. Talk a little about some of the lineages that you guys were able to trace back. Well, we, um, what we did find out, Joe, was that um, Anne Murray's uh, grandfather, Dan Murray, served with the Canadian Army Medical Corps, and he was attached to the number 2 Construction Battalion. So he was the uh, physician and doctor that, um, that did work and look after these uh, soldiers. And there's also another very interesting personality. His name is Chaplain William Andrew White. And I'll, I'll explain the connection here in a second. Um, Chaplain White was um, the honorary uh, cap- was an honorary captain and was one of a very few um, Afro-Canadians at that time that had the rank of a commissioned officer in the uh, British Commonwealth Forces. Now, the interesting thing is, is that the two of them met, of course. Uh, uh, William White was the chaplain assigned to the number two battalion, and Dan Murray's, um, uh, Anne Murray's grandfather, Dan, was assigned as well. And I guess years later, through a connection involving the music industry, their grandchildren would meet and they would be discussing their, their grandfather's history. And, mm-hmm. oh, my God, well, my grandfather knew your grandfather. And that's how <laughs> it came about. It's amazing. The, like I said, the six degrees of separation never ceased to amaze yeah. me in this country. What's next for you guys? I mean, this is a pretty big project. Do you have another one in mind? Or are you going to keep that kind of hush-hush for maybe next year? No, uh, last year we did the Sikh History Month was April, and we did a project for them last year. And we had um, the Sikhs that served for Canada in World War One, which there was 10 of them. And we got, got a couple of them for Medicine Hat that uh, nobody knew about. Mm-hmm. Um, this year we're doing Sikh History Month in April, and we're going to be doing about the same um, uh, kind of show and uh, lecture for the Sikhs. Right. Very, very cool. It's uh, it's something that, uh, as I've said on this show many a time, I'm a big fan of the history stuff. So to be able to uh, take a look back in time and see where we are is something that is definitely worthwhile seeing at the Military Museums with your guys' exhibit. It's running all month long down there. Uh, thank you so much for joining us to the both of you. Thanks, Joe. Al Ross and Indra Tika Singh. And you can get more information on their uh, exhibit, the lecture, and the panel discussion uh, by going to themilitarymuseums.ca. Thank you so much for downloading today's podcast. Do me a huge favor and leave a rating and a comment. And you can always hit me up on Twitter as well. Just follow me at Calgary Today.